0: This is Entheogen, talk about tools for generating the divine within. Find the notes and links for this and other episodes at entheogenshow.com. Sign up to receive an email when we release a new episode. Follow us at Entheogen Show on Twitter and like Entheogen Show on Facebook. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. And I'm Kevin. Today is January 7th, 2016, and we are discussing a new understanding the science of psilocybin. So, we first discussed this film and interviewed its producer, Robert Barnhart, uh, back in August 2015. Uh, Before the film's release. And since then, the film has been released, and you can rent it or buy it online. Uh, We'll have a link to that in the show notes at entheogenshow.com. We've all had a chance to watch it again, and we just wanted to reflect on our impressions of the film. So I'll start with a quote from Alex Gray, and he says A new understanding, the science of psilocybin, puts an original face on psychedelics. Not the typical faces in the media of delusional dropouts associated with drugs, but the faces of normal Americans, some suffering from the final stages of terminal cancer. After one dose of psilocybin, the face of joy, relief, and peace is nothing short of miraculous. A medical mystical miracle is in our midst, and this film beautifully describes the facts. Bravo to Robert Barnhart and all the production team, the courageous chemists, the doctors, and patients who are helping our society to reevaluate psilocybin as a medicine for the soul.
1: Yeah, Alex actually makes a, a a non-speaking cameo toward the end of the film. I noticed there's like a scene of a reception or something, and
0: I saw him appear.
2: That, that, it's good for a cred, you know? <laughs> <laughs> brings up the cred of the film.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, as we discussed, um, Robert Barnhart, the producer of this film, um, is on the board of Maps. He's also on the board of Cosm, Alex Gray's uh chapel of sacred mirrors, the nonprofit organization. So he, I believe that part that scene in the, in the film was, was at Cosm if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Robert, uh, Robert's a good, good guy and uh, very happy to be promoting his film. Absolutely. He's on, the, he's on the board of everything awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, he's <laughs> also on Hefter, it. right? He's on the board of Hefter as well, yeah. I think.
2: Hefter, Maps, and Cosm. I mean, like, how does it get any better than that? I
0: wonder what his, uh, you know, like, The, the Holy are. Trinity, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's the Holy Trinity. That's a good point.
1: <laughs> the new Holy Trinity. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you know, one interesting fact, you know, kind of at the beginning of this film, uh, and we, we do encourage listeners to, uh, to go out and uh, rent it. You know, it's like five bucks, um, and you yeah. can kind of follow yeah, exactly. along at home. You know, it's well yes. worth it. Um, but it starts off um, talking about how, of course, our, our good, fr- good, uh, good friend, a good friend friend of the show, uh, you know, Godfather Albert Hoffman. Um, sort of, you Is know, Hoffman
2: a friend of the show?
0: He's a, he's he's, a friend of the he's show. He's the dad of the show. I he's think a, we established, him, right. and
2: established <laughs> him as dad.
0: That's right. You call him dad. <laughs>
2: I was going to say, I don't remember that episode. I don't remember him <laughs> being interviewed and on the show. Maybe I wasn't here. I don't
0: know. You didn't take enough that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's one exception.
2: How how uncharacteristic. Okay. That's right. Exactly.
0: So Hoffman, you know, as we all know, right, ser- serendipitously, sort of discovered LSD through, you know, like uh, just a, an accident, um, essentially, um, and you know, but not a lot of people know. As if that weren't enough, discovering LSD and founding this entire psychedelic movement uh, and all the promise these these uh, compounds um, hold inside. He also went on to isolate the active chemical in, uh, you know, magic mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms. Um, he's, he isolated and also synthesized psilocybin. Um, so, you know, he's kind of, uh, not just a one hit wonder there. He, he went on to, uh, to continue his, um, you know, his, uh, his repertoire, uh, pr- pretty well. Um,
1: impressive yeah. man. He's yeah. an impressive man. I remember we'd mentioned that too, in a, a show, you know, months back where it was, he he'd, he'd gone, he'd taken a trip and had some mushrooms and kind of brought them back and analyzed them and when he went back to, is is Maria Sabina, is that the name, am I getting that right? Um, In Mexico, right? And so I remember reading about how mushrooms was a seasonal thing and based on the rains and based on the time of year, you could harvest them and so kind of as a gift that he gave back was like, look, you know, I put it in a pill form so you don't necessarily need to wait uh, until that part of the year. And uh, it, Maria Sabina endorsed it. If I remember correctly, she said he did well.
2: That's right. Absolutely. I think I think that was kind of the point. Was that Hoffman wanted to? He wanted like the ultimate litmus test, right? He wanted to bring it back to somebody who had only known natural psilocybin and you know, and have them actually tested. And so Marina Sabina was the perfect uh, test case. And I think it was probably it gave him like a you know a serious. Uh, academic boner when he, when she, uh, you know, when she gave him the okay, you know,
1: <laughs> well said,
2: <laughs> thank you, thank you. So he, no, he, uh, he actually, his description of the scene too is when they, when they, uh, you know, they, they took the, the psilocybin pills together and he, he kind of uh, humorously describes how everything in the room starts to take on like this Mexican. Character and you know and basically he's sitting waiting for her reaction and she kind of smiles at him and she says the same she said the same I think she said the same spirit is in these pills as in in the in the mushrooms and uh, hence the the boner began.
1: (laughs) Well, back. uh Shying away from the boner and back to the film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Let's not get jo, too distracted.
1: You mentioned you can rent or buy the film. So I just wanted to reiterate, it's it's $5 to rent for 48-hour period. Uh, it's $10, dollars nine ninety five to buy. So you can stream and download anytime through Vimeo. And again, this will all be in the show notes. But you can also go to the website, anewunderstanding.org. And, you know, go go there or the Vimeo page. Um, there's also a lot of great information on the website itself about the participants uh, and the researchers who were either interviewed or a lot of the research um, that was done that was represented. Um, it, they're listed there. A cool little bonus is it, I, I rented it, so I, I don't know if it's true if you buy it as well, but there – when you – when you rent it, you can also watch, uh, DMT, the spirit molecule. So kind of two
0: films for one for the price of one. Yeah. Well worth every penny for sure. Um, you know, DMT, uh, the the spirit molecule that was a a book by Rick Strassman. Um, when that really kind of ushered in like the, the new wave of psychedelic research back in the nineties, I think he, when did he do those, uh, Studies, I think it was like, you know, like mid 90s or something like that. Um, The book came out a little bit later, but um, that was really the first time that research had been done. The film, you know, of course, points out how right after Hoffman research started and then was immediately basically squashed um, after Leary kind of started giving everybody really high doses, I think is essentially what the to distill it down. Um, Is that a fair take on it? Yeah, Yeah,
1: and Ken Kesey, Kesey on the West Coast, you know, the the Merry Pranksters. So, I mean, socially, it, it was inflammatory, and it was reacted to politically, you know, and unfortunately, it was scheduled such that no research could be done, and all this promising, um, you know, uh, research that
0: had begun all had to come to a stop. Right. I mean, guys like Jim Fadiman, you know, were, were out there doing studies into – Uh, You know, effectiveness uh, in helping people get their work done, uh, think creatively, solve problems. They were having really, really, really effective results uh, with problem solving. Um, And all these studies were kind of like underway and they were using actually much smaller doses, um, you know, hence the current uh, sort of uh, fad of uh, microdosing from Jim Fadman. Um, and, and, uh, <laughs> nice. the, the microdosing. dosing. Wait,
2: wait, wait. I can't talk about boners, but Joe can make that cheesy joke. <laughs> Come on, hey, It's
1: all welcome, so welcome here. Welcome. As far as I'm concerned, it's all welcome.
0: So, you know, these guys were all in the middle of these very legitimate research. And, uh, the, I think it was like basically what the FDA kind of stepped in and said, Oh no, you don't. Um, and then there was nothing, you know, as we lamented many times before, nothing happened for decades, um, until that first work with, with DMT. Um, so it's very fitting that, um, you know, Rick Strassman's film, you know, uh, uh, about, uh, DMT, about his research with DMT, uh, c- comes along for the ride when you, when you rent or buy, um, you know, Robert Barnhart's film, uh, about psilocybin, uh, because really psilocybin is what, uh, really just up-leveled, um, you know the the modern era of research uh, because it's. I think really what it comes down to is psilocybin is something that is, you know, uh, still 100% as psychoactive as LSD, still effective in, you know, a single dose, uh, relatively small dose, um, long enough acting where you can get some real kind of therapeutic benefit and real mystical experiences out of it. Um, But for a lot of people, it's not as scary as, you know, LSD. It doesn't have the same associations with acid. Um, Synthetic. It's not Synthetic. And right. unlike LSD, no one has ever turned into an orange or a glass of orange juice from psilocybin. <laughs> um, so it has a measure of safety above and beyond LSD.
1: Yeah, I, I met someone when I was in Peru on my way to an ayahuasca retreat who hosts she's, – um, she's not from Peru. She's actually Canadian, but she was there working with the host that I was working with, um, and she hosts uh, psilocybin um, ceremonies in Mexico. So mushroom based ceremonies akin to what you might imagine an ayahuasca ceremony would be like. So there's a lot of structure, you know. There's probably a maloka. There's a setting of intentions. Um, So that you know that that I learned of that. Then I didn't realize that you know you could have that kind of experience. But you know, I'm sure that has been happening for thousands of years.
2: You know, Brad, it's like it's cool that you point out the the whole structure part of it. I I can't help watching. uh, You know, when I'm watching this sort of documentary and it's i mean i'm it's really cool i'm i'm really happy that all this is happening and i'm i'm kind of watching how it's kind of like the western world is catching up to where indigenous people were like thousands of years ago <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. because really really it is you know not to sound uh, like arrogant or, or whatever but it it really feels that way because it's like you know it's like all the protocols that are set up and all the conclusions that are drawn from this are things that i feel like you know if you Told like a really, you know, just just like any average shaman back in the day, it would have been like, yeah, <laughs> I know, obviously. Yeah,
1: depending upon whose version of history you you listen to or choose to believe, you know, some people believe that even Western um, Western religions and Western society was you know based on experiences with either psilocybin or ergot or whatever it may be with the is it hallucinian? Is that how you said? are they so.
2: listening mysteries
1: yeah yeah um so
2: <laughs> yeah i'm actually i just i got uh you know <laughs> i think when you when you start having a podcast about entheogens you start getting like better christmas presents and uh <laughs> so i got like really good entheogenic <laughs> christmas presents this year one of them was uh terence mckenna's book uh food food for gods
0: food of the gods and I,
2: food of the gods that's it yeah and i've I just started it and it's uh it, it he he makes that claim very early in the book that he really believes that modern, that, that religion stems from uh, human's relationship with psychoactive plants and that, you know, the, the fact that mushrooms grow at a certain time and that that time is based on, on the lunar calendar and people can make that association and have this kind of profound experience uh, that he really believes the foundations of modern religion are, are rooted there, you know, and it, it's an interesting theory. I don't know how I feel about it, but it's definitely <laughs> worth thinking about.
0: <laughs> that was something that uh, Anthony Bossis um, mentioned in the movie that, uh, you know, th- throughout history, people have been able to have this mystical experience through you know various ways, um, you know, with or without, uh, you know, so, a drug or any kind of uh, chemical or. Uh, substance kind of uh, accompaniment, but um, it just so happens that, you know, these, these substances are just a really reliable way of having a mystical experience. So it's a really accessible thing for people. Um, And, but, you know, keep in mind, it's not about the drug. It's about that mystical experience.
2: One of the first things we see at the beginning of the film is uh, Annie Levy or Levy. I don't, I don't remember how her name was pronounced, but, uh, but she's one of the three patients interviewed for the film and she's uh, terminally ill at the time the, the, the film began and kind of we see her progression throughout the film. But she basically makes the point that in modern Western society, we don't uh, speak about death. It's sort of a, a non-conversation. And for a person who's terminally ill, uh, obviously this is a, t- a touchy subject and something that uh, through her experience with psilocybin, she's able to deal with a lot better. And uh, to to me, one of the coolest parts of the film because you know i think it's hard for it's probably hard for some people who who don't know anything about this subject to to listen to these things even though I, th- I think that the film does a great job of bringing the bringing the issue to the normal person to the person who knows nothing about uh psychedelics and uh but anyway there there's a point in the film where her we can see her at her funeral her son's eulogy for her and it's spoiler very spoiler alert no spoiler. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> but uh, it's like Game of Thrones, basically. I mean, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, her, her son's eulogy is it's really touching, uh, really moving. But it's also it's really comforting because he's he, he really makes the point that his his mom really was at, at ease with her own death. And, and that's so remarkable. You know, it's it's yeah. something you, you just res- can't believe that you know it.
1: And you know, respectfully to to Anne Levy and and her son and and you know, it's we can we can laugh about it and joke about it, but it's it's really moving. Like, and it's captured well in the film. So what he talks about in the eulogy, you see very clearly. You know, you mm-hmm. see her being interviewed and talking about you know that that type of stress. You know, like not necessarily the fear of dying, but the fear of you know, I'm terminally ill. I'm afraid of these medical procedures. I'm afraid of the pain that's associated with these things. There's so much stress that that gets in, incurred. And another one of the the participants, um, Matt, um, talks about the, you know the stress around knowing that you don't that time's not on your side. And so all these very specific types of stress, you know, they're, they're, I guess they're forms of palliative care that people can seek. Um, but relatively speaking to have an opportunity to, to do this seems like a a really great thing. And and you can see it in her face and the way she talks about it. You can see it in Matt's face and you can hear it in his voice when he talks about the experience and how profound and helpful, um, it was, uh, it's, it's very moving. It's really amazing
2: well this is this is one of the things that you know while while I'm watching the film i'm I'm very convinced by by all three people and the experiences they've had, especially the two who are terminally ill i I feel like they've had tremendous experiences. I think is it true that in both cases it was only one uh, experience that they had? But anyway the you know it's obviously very well structured there's a, a very big emphasis in the experiment on getting to know uh, the, the therapist beforehand so that you feel comfortable there's a big emphasis on integration of the experience once you've had it there are very nice touches like uh, for me one of the nice touches is that you don't have uh there's no v- open visual experience right you're blindfolded so everything that happens happens in your own imagination let's say uh which I think is a great touch, and then also the fact that the music is used, as they say, to embed the experience, and I think that's yeah. a, an absolutely brilliant touch. What I was thinking while watching this is, and I wanted to pose the question to you guys, is what, how do you think, what is it about the experience that helps you confront something like death? You know, what, what exactly happens in the experience that makes you f- change your perspective on something like death, I mean the, the the final chapter of your life.
1: Good question. Uh, one thing to an- and to begin answering that, you know, it's it's a huge question, and to begin answering it, I'm reminded of another part in the film, where the the one participant who was not terminally ill, Sandy, um, she she talked about how in her session she had the opportunity to grieve. Um, for a loss, you know, for a death, uh, for a family member of hers. And I've had that experience. Um, I had that experience when I was in, in Peru and I'd done a San Pedro um, ceremony. And and the, and it was music – it was rooted in the music as well. And I think I've, st- I've told the story in an episode a while ago, but how, like, the music was this Hare, Hare Krishna chanting and it was, you know, we're sitting in this garden and, looking at these flowers and it's this beautiful, positive experience. And then in this, this Hare Krishna song, the, the lyrics, you know, instantly change to the lyrics of Amazing Grace. And I'm totally brought to my my grandmother's funeral who'd passed away. It's a couple of years ago now, but at the time it was within the past year. And I, I di- you know, I it's not that I couldn't grieve before, but I had an opportunity to either f- – C- you know, continue the process or complete the process. It's unclear which, but um, part of the confrontation of death, and to answer your question, Kev, like how does that experience help you deal with it? I think one huge way is just the contemplation and the confrontation. You know, it's. I think mm. our brains are so sophisticated at avoiding pain. You know, and it's not. Uh, it's not effective or it's not efficient. You know, to to be. In pain, so I think it's it's very common for like a sophisticated brain to like circumvent that pain, and so one way I think with psilocybin or other entheogens is it helps you, you know, simply cut, like walk up to it and look at it, you mm-hmm. know, given an examination, and not not have it be so overwhelming that you need to shut down.
2: That's that's know, uh, yeah, that's uh, an interesting take. I, it, honestly, I, watching that part, it was really it was something I thought about for the rest of the film because I, personally, I've never dealt with a painful uh, death in my family. I've never lost anyone uh, of real importance, so I didn't. You know, I I had a really hard time with that one. Like, what is yeah. what is it exactly that it does? And the only thing I could come to is that perhaps. I, I was brought back to an experience I had with, uh, with psilocybin one time on a, uh, sitting on a beach, and I was looking up at the stars, and I just started thinking about, I don't know, the constellations and how humans started navigating the, you know navigating the seas and how complicated that is, and then using the star. And it just put me into this loop of kind of understanding my place in history. Mm-hmm. you know and, and not not just in the history of the human race in the history of this planet in the i don't know in the in the cosmos everything and it just uh, there was something about that experience that made me feel really good like you know I, i've had <laughs> i've had i've had it really good this is uh yeah it's not a bad place to be <laughs> in time and space you know? yeah that sense of and, reverence yeah yeah absolutely and i think that there's a point point in the film where um One of them, I believe, it's Sandy Lundell. Says you are, you realize that you are profound. (laughs) You know, and she she says that with no ego or arrogance, but it really is. It's like your, your existence is profound. The fact that you are here as part of this race and this planet and this time, and that you're the technology of your body, (laughs) and your own experience. It's just all so crazy, and that maybe having that realization uh, is something that. you know, I don't know. It just changes your mind about that, and maybe, maybe also you you think about uh, your your being or your consciousness as not only the time that you inhabit your your body. Maybe, perhaps you you feel a little bit more eternal than that when you have this sort of
0: experience. Woo 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 alert! <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know, for me, I think I'm that, just quoting Tool. Yeah, okay. <laughs> nice. You can do that anytime. That's that's fair game on this show. Um, you know, for me, I, I feel like I go to that place of, um, like being embedded in that broader, uh, perspective. Um, you know, that like place in history kind of perspective, um, mm-hmm. which is so much even more profound. Like you, you described it well, like in, in talking about like the, the navigating by the constellations and stuff like that. And just thinking about like the, the, like immensity of everything and like where Reminds you fit of your
2: dinosaur comment.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, <laughs> that's where I go. It seems like, uh, almost every time I, I, uh, you know, take mushrooms, um, um, but it, it, particularly the death, uh, you know, contemplation part of things, particularly reminds me of um, my sort of one and only like major um, ayahuasca trip um, or journey, and um, it. I, I sort of had the same experience there, uh, but even a larger uh, sense, you know, f- seeing my place in my family, seeing my place in, you know, generations over the years, and and almost like being able to imagine generations into the future, and. I mean, it was just a series of like, oh, you know, like that kind of thing, like, aha, you know, those, those moments. And like, just kind of getting a lot of stuff. And I think for me, it was almost the opposite of that comment you mentioned from Sandy about how, like, you know, I am profound. It was, it was more like, um, like, it's okay because it's, it's not, it's okay because even if I'm not here, this is here. You know, everything, it's about everything. (laughs) It's like, this is awesome, you know, and, (laughs) and like, it will still be awesome without me. And, and that's the kind of like, you know, that leads to like this profound acceptance. Like, it's, it's okay if I'm, if I'm, it's great that I'm here. If I'm not here, it's going to be okay too.
2: It reminds me of the, the Carl Sagan right like we're all star stuff or right. something you know it's like yeah. we're all it's you know your your consciousness and your your perception of uh, life is kind of only one one form of being here like in in some in some aspect you will continue to exist <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> and as we've been talking about this i I'm reviewing the notes, and uh, at one point uh Bill Richards rattles off the six basic categories of a Quote core religious experience, and I think we touched on three or four of them just in talking about you know how does this experience help you confront death, Um, and that that's another aspect of the film that I really enjoyed is that they didn't shy away from you know the title of the film is um, you know science of psilocybin, um, but they didn't shy away from the spiritual aspect or letting people expound on. You know how they felt from a therapeutic or, or a mystical experience. And it was cool the way, the way Richards rattled these off because he was talking about collecting data. So people have these experiences and they talk about them. And from his experience as a researcher, you know, he, he's come to, to list these six things. And so they, they are, uh, number
2: one, unity. Can you, know, you say so that, that in uh, the Dave Chappelle, Rick James voice? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all I could think of when he said it. In the film Unity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Unity is something that we mentioned. You know that sense of connection, that larger what? You know, number two for sure. We talked about transcendence of time and space. You know, that's that's pretty obvious. Um, th- number three, he refers to as noetic or intuitive knowledge. You know, just this that we. Like, either we're receptors for a greater knowledge or there's a lot more knowledge within us um, that we can have an appreciation for. Uh, number four, we certainly mentioned that sense of sacredness or awesomeness. Um, as well as number five, they seem kind of interlinked. Uh, a deeply felt positive mood or joy or peace or love. Um, man, it, I'll never forget the the last time that I that I. Taken ayahuasca, I'd spent hours just in this like feeling this explosion of love, like it was um, anyway uh, number six <laughs> <laughs> number six is the the ineffability you know the, or he uses the word paradoxicality you know that that it's difficult to put into words, and you see that as well with matt uh specifically one of the participants that they're interviewing is he, you know, he, he talks about that you can't put it into words and the, the, the experience, the more you try to or the more that you do begins to take away from it. And so with those six things, it was just funny hearing us talk about our experiences and contemplating death and what that means to us. We just organically, you know, kind of went through, I think, four of the six.
0: It is kind of a weird thing to start a podcast about. to, You know, it's like the... The ineffability of it. Um, here we are, you know, we're spouting off uh, <laughs> hours of, and hours of uh, words about something, you know, it's hard, very hard to describe. Yeah. Boner, b- boner yeah. amongst <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's a pretty accurate description. Number seven, <laughs> massive boner. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> massive mystical boner.
2: Would, uh, it's another therapeutic use of uh, soul cyber, you know? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Bob Dole doing commercials for psilocybin these days.
0: McKenna <laughs> has a whole thing about that too. Speaking of McKenna's whole like he uh, does, he does. founding of religion, it's like the you know, it happens to be like an aphrodisiac. And uh, so the, the people I would who, agree with
2: LSD too. I don't totally understand both. why that's not talked about more. It's like it's, it's unbelievable. The effect is unbelievable. I don't know what something like Viagra does to you, but I can imagine it's very localized. And very, but what uh, LSD does for you and your yeah. relationship at the time you take it with you and your loved one, it's unreal. I don't know. It's <laughs> like a boner, basically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like a whole body um, like activation, right. though. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's it. It's
2: like a friend of mine described it as like the kind of the, the the chakras are glowing, you know, and it's like a, a union of chakras. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's just an unbelievable experience. I recommend it to everyone. <laughs> a full body boner. <laughs>
1: exactly what I was thinking.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck. So getting back to um, the film, um, A New Understanding, The Science of Psilocybin, Vasa says um, one of the greatest sources of distress at the end of life uh, are, you know, psychological, spiritual, and existential despair. And a lack of meaning and the search for meaning, um, if you can cultivate this meaning, people can die a better death is, is how he puts it. Um, and, you know, basically the idea is that psilocybin can aid in this search for meaning. Um, so, you know, this is why he says that palliative care can really start at the time of diagnosis when you get one of these, you know, unfortunate terminal diagnoses, you can then um, immediately start this process. You can have the patient sort of uh, embark on this process of, of, you know, a search for meaning. You're providing this opportunity that um, really hasn't been there. You know, there hasn't been really a tool around this. You've you've had maybe psychotherapy and things like that that take, you know, weeks and months to provide, you know, sort of marginal benefits, whereas, you know, psilocybin has been proven to show or, or demonstrated to show that, uh, you know, an improvement in just one, one session in a matter Mm -hmm. of minutes.
2: Yeah. And I think this will, you know, this will be more evident as these studies move into phase three and phase four trials. And and there's very definitive evidence because it seems very obvious that there will be. Um, and I think the great thing you take from this film is, is just, you know, why not offer this possibility to people, you know, whether it's palliative care, whether it's uh, Post traumatic stress disorder, whether it's addiction, like why, why is this not available? You know, I mean, if you want to argue uh, political points on the legalization of, of substances for other reasons, uh, fine. But when, when we talk about patients and people who are sick, and, and I think this film does a great job of putting a face to those people, yeah. I think it's really hard to, to look at this and say, like, no, 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 we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. I mean,
1: my first reaction to that is word. yeah Yeah, exactly but like at the same time you know if i were to play devil's advocate it would be exactly that it'd be pointing to the politics it'd be pointing to the social Mm. stigma it's or or you know you might get conspiratorial about big pharma and their role and like if it's sure how how uh what's the monetization strategy for a one time cure kind of thing or something that you only need to take once who you know i guess you can go down different rabbit holes of of trying to play devil's advocate, advocate, but absolutely, why not? You know, it's well,
2: yeah. And this one, this one was, uh, you know, I I think I would a- ask myself that question anyway if I were just watching it. But I think this has been really bothering me lately because I guess one one of the issues that I've been just bathing myself in lately, and anybody who follows me on Facebook probably hates me for it, but is that is is just is gun control, and and it's the sort of thing that. I, the argument in favor of something like gun ownership is always, well, this is a country that's based on individual rights. Uh, and if that's the case, if that's if that's a argument or a country based on individual rights, why not allow people to make this decision for themselves? You know not not to take this to too political uh, to a territory, but you know why why is this not a decision you can make? I mean we're talking yeah. about a person eating a mushroom. It grows in the future. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's like there's a lot worse things we can do. Um,
1: yeah, totally. Word again. We register <laughs> word one more time. And uh, you know, the it's. I, I'm totally optimistic that we're he- we're heading in that direction. You know, Joe, you you started to list a couple, you know, of locations where research is being done. Um, this film really sheds light on just how many there are. You know, you've also got the Beckley Foundation in London. Uh with David Nutt, um, it talks about the Hefter Institute. You know there are several places in the United States, there are several places in the world where the research is is beginning to happen, and we're starting to collect data and you, you know we can kind of have a, a more um, a realistic conversation about this, and that you know why not will seem like less of a obvious question, I think ten, fifteen, twenty years from now. We need a
2: lobby, guys. We need a lobby. well, I mean, super PAC. We need a lobby. That's (laughs) that's the obvious answer to all this. No, I mean, joking aside, watching the documentary, you realize that all of this is happening because there are guys like Barnhart who are putting their own money towards this research. I mean, there are a lot of people privately funding this because there's absolutely no public funding. And this happens. It's it's on those guys. They did it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, th- and th- thanks to them. I mean, thanks to Robert for for making this film and 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 for you know funding these studies um, and and many others. Amanda Fielding is mentioned in the film. She's a great, I think, benefactor. To um, is it uh, is it Beckley or Hefter? I think one of those two um, funding some of the studies in London. And um, you know, there's and there's there's other people too. Obviously, Rick Doblin's been just laboring for for years about this stuff, and we've talked about him before. But the, you know, the why not has a really specific answer, which is that these drugs are Schedule One, right? Which, as we've defined in the past, the drug or substance has a high potential for abuse. I don't know. Do, you, do people abuse LSD? Do people abuse psilocybin? That's kind of an open question. I, I think there's that's has yet to be seen. But in any case, um, you know it, it junkies, has man. no currently accepted <laughs> medical use, right? And that's the this is what we're working on. We're working on getting a use uh, for medicinal purposes to be accepted uh, in the U.S. Um, and then you know number three is there's lack of accepted safety, and that's of course the other thing that these studies are working on, especially in, in uh, the phase one trials, um, but also in phase two. You know. Part Part of it is not only, you know, efficacy, but also safety. Um, And these things are being uh, proven now um, and or have been proven uh, and will be further, you know, proved in in, uh, the phase three trials. Um, But, you know, so schedule two to as distinct from schedule one, um, these drugs are um, have a high potential for abuse still questionable about this stuff Um, but they have a currently accepted medical use so you can move a drug from schedule one to schedule two by basically proving a medical use Um, and some of the drugs in schedule two these things would be in good company right you'd have you have morphine um, opium uh, you have uh, you, you have, um, cocaine, cocaine is scheduled two. um, so d- does this mean that like psilocybin mushrooms, they grow in cow shit are worse than, than, uh, you know, somebody doing a line of cocaine. I mean, I, I just, I, I can't uh, quite wrap my head around that. Methamphetamines, those, those are scheduled two drugs. Um, so, you know, let's at least elevate LSD to the level of meth, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> seems a little backwards you know here and there yeah agreed one of the things besides medical use though that the film gets into is just the you know as as um, uh, as is sometimes said um, the betterment of well people um, this is a study that's going on um, at uh, Johns Hopkins um, right. with Bill Richards and they're you know he's very interested in studying how psilocybin can help people awaken how people can significantly grow in a very short amount of time. These are things that, that we've all witnessed, and we appreciate done.
1: their husband more as is the case in the case <laughs> of the film, right? Exactly. <laughs> that was a cute. That was a cute part of the film.
0: Very cute part, and, and I encourage listeners to check that out. Uh, that's another uh, very lucid, uh, you know, f- feedback from Sandy, one of the participants in in that study. Um, but I mean these these are real benefits, and this is another really um, wonderful area of study. You know, not only just to you know help people with these. Extreme, you know, terminal illnesses and PTSD and um, addiction. You know, those things are mentioned at the end as well, not focused on in the film, but they're are also uses that are they're being studied. Um, but the, uh, the just helping people to have a better life in general, help the betterment of well people. I think that's a really valid, worthwhile pursuit as well.
2: Yeah, and Word. I think also the. Uh, <laughs> I think also the the interview with David Nutt, uh, who, who's become kind of a personal hero of mine, uh, <laughs> towards the end of the film is just great because you can just see the enthusiasm he has for uh, using these substances to answer a lot of questions about how the brain actually works. And about what consciousness is, and it just he just has a list of of great questions, and he feels like uh, you know that, that this is the best route towards answering them and un- better understanding the human brain and all the implications that 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 could have. And I just feel like you know when you it's making these things schedule one is like you know it's like breaking Galileo's telescope. You know, it's just precisely, it's yeah. just brutal. It's just it's suppression of curiosity.
0: And of progress. Who who is yeah. that that you're uh, talking? Uh, David Nutt. Do you have a boner for David Nutt? <laughs> I do. <laughs>
2: I bust a nut for David. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the bumper sticker
1: now. <laughs>